Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hi, today we are talking about Dolby Atmos with John Escobar from Berkeley University and Matteo Marciano, if I said that right, Matteo, you'll correct That's me, right. from the NYU University. We'll talk about object-based audio, uh, tips and tricks about object-based audio, Dolby Atmos in general, uh, and of course about the minimal the minimal requirements to, to run a studio, uh, a project studio or at home. So hello and welcome to both of you. Hi there. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for the invitation. You're very welcome. So is immersive more than surround, Matteo? It really is. Um, I mean, if you think about how technology has progressed through, especially, you know, in sound for film, and right now we're actually seeing this huge debut into sounds for consumer in headphones right now. It is something new. I mean, we started to move from channel-based systems where you were a little bit limited. And again, I want to make a little bit of a differences between uh, consumer versus pro uh, systems. Imagine if you were to mix uh, either a soundtrack or a song in a small dub stage, a 7.1 or a 5.1, which was the standard. So... Back then, and still nowadays, which since 5.1 and 7.1 are still plant, very, very well used, the problem was how would you move audio and how accurate your mix would have been after you move from a smaller scale dub stage into a movie theater per se. So if you think about moving objects and moving sounds actually from a channel-based point from speaker to speaker, the thing that I think was the, the, the big of a challenge was how well that panning movement would translate on a larger scale on a larger scale system due to the fact that right now we move from being channel based to object based uh, first and foremost it makes possible for us to mix things in a completely different perspective um, you know where whereas mixing for film has always been very allocentric that means that you had the movie and you were mixing in reference to something which happens on the screen. Right now, having the audio, in my perspective, being immersive makes things a little bit more egocentric. Think about application for VR or think about right now all this music application that are figuring out ways to make this egocentric position of you being at the center of almost 360 degrees uh, platform allow you the listeners to enjoy music and sounds in a completely different ways and allow also us the work within the sounds to be a little bit more creative we don't have to be forced to you know figure it out how to position sounds and make the sounds to come through you know just a stereo sets of speakers or just a surround but we can actually pick and choose where we want the sounds to be the great thing is how Atmos made possible to translate into different systems. So how easy it is to downsize from uh, a 9.1.6 to a 5.1 to a stereo, and actually how to decode that into binaural for headphones-related applications. So I think, in a way, Immersive is doing what Blu-ray did for visual content. 
you think about nowadays, everyone, unless they see every single small details of somebody characters during a film or a television show, that you know that uh, that look on their TV is not good enough. So the, it's kind of like the industry has educated people to work and to want a little bit better image. And of course, for sounds, it's taking a little longer because we have been constrained to work for a long time. And we still are to work with, you know, streaming services, which are a great asset in terms of discovering and listening to music, not such a great asset in terms of listening to music. Yeah, and in a way, there's been a lot of improvements, right? Absolutely. So we, we absolutely. can talk about Tidal and, and Apple Music now. they both supporting Dolby Atmos, right? And that's the great thing. That's exactly the that's exactly where I was going. Right now I think it's the industry is kind of re-educating people to enjoy really music and to listen to music, not hear it music and have it as a background uh color within what happens within their day, but actually turning on a little bit more their listening and focus cues due to the fact that Atmos allow you to really bring out more. Uh, texture within what we're working on. So it's not anymore how we can mix fit everything within a mix, but how can we make this mix immersive from the listener point of view and have people kind of like having a journey within whatever they're listening to. Beautiful, beautiful. So the the basis from, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go like maybe a little bit too far into the history, but anyway, so Dolby Atmos or Ambisonics or 5.1 or whatever, it always comes down to localization and specialization of sound, right? So when we're talking about, uh, you know, 5.1 system or, or whatever, you know, you as this, this egocentric person, right, in, in the middle of everything, you're basically localizing sound based on your hearing system, right? But when it comes to, you know, downsizing uh, or down mixing to binaural or something like that, and you're actually hearing things in, uh, around you in a 3D space, that's specialization, right? So um, artificially made positions, right? So maybe, John, John uh, you can shed some light on, on this when it comes to Dolby Atmos and object-based uh, versus, you know, binaural recordings or ambisonics recordings, which we also talked about uh, in the early uh, all the chat episodes, right? So I think that's uh, two different approaches, and I believe that many are still a little bit confused on on where where something ends and the new thing starts. Yeah, so I think you know it's kind of I I often think about even just mixing in general as having two sort of discrete approaches to it. You can either create, recreate, or create a mix, right? So you're either recreating the exact moment and space and time where a, perf a musical performance took place, or you're taking the pop approach and you're overdubbing everything and then creating a world that didn't necessarily exist physically um, at the moment that the performance was uh, captured. And so I think uh, binaural and Dolby Atmos downmixing um, versus capturing ambisonics is kind of that same idea. When you're capturing ambisonics, you're using a microphone, a tetrahedral microphone array, to essentially uh, capture the actual acoustics and the physicality and all of the directions of whatever is currently happening um, at that moment in time in the performance. And the great thing about that is that you um, you not only capture well in capturing those directions, you're already inherently 
dealing with the phase correlations of the objects. You're, phase, you're dealing with the um, phasing alignment of all of the reflective surfaces around you. So it's all sort of baked into the capture that you make. Um, the Perhaps the downside of that, which we now have a little bit more control of in Dolby Atmos, is that using the Dolby Atmos render in binaural mode, I've got the plugin that allows me to actually object by object and or stem by stem decide how much or how little uh, binauralized spatialization I want to add, right? So I've got these three modes. I can either, well, four modes. I can turn it off. I can go uh, close, near, and far. And that's basically just saying from a centered uh egocentric position, where do I want my uh, object or stem to uh, play back at me in terms of how much um, reflection point, how far away distance wise, how far away do I want that to be? So it's a great uh, versatility that I'm getting. And perhaps the downside of that that I could see is that you're essentially always creating kind of two mixes, right? So you're on the one hand, you're creating an Atmos 7.1.2 bed plus objects on top of it. And that is your Atmos file that is intended to um, scale up and down to however many speakers your consumer is going to be uh, dealing with. And then at the same time, you're also effectively recreating that same mix to be able to play back in a headphone environment over binaural stereo audio. Um, and you really have to be paying attention to make sure that both um, both versions of your mix are actually translating the same way. So there's a lot, uh, th there's more room for error if you're not careful, I would say. But a, certainly mo much more room for, for creativity. Thank you. But uh, isn't there like a, a moment in, in a project uh, when you you would need to decide what format are going to use right we're talking about immersiveness in in both cases right so what are like one or two points that you need to consider before you you make a decision okay this project will be a Dolby Atmos project this project will be a ambisonics project what are you know the core maybe differences or limitations that you need to be aware of when you're making a decision to maybe even which studio you're going to go with is this a question for who <laughs> let's make it okay. let's make it you Matteo right <laughs> okay so i mean at least from my point of view there are two considerations that generally I make and that um, I'm forced to do. The first consideration is thinking where a lot of, of the platforms in the industry are going. If you think about Netflix and you think about Amazon, they're all moving um, to an Atmos-based format. So whether we want it or not, we could always run into the problem if we just finalize a mix in 7.1 to upscale or upmix whatever it is that we did in Atmos. So in my experience, I think, and I found it myself, that if I know that in a way Atmos is actually, I don't want to say it's becoming the actual standard for creating content, but it's starting to acquire a certain importance within the industry. Um, due to the fact that down mixing from Atmos to more 5.1 uh, surround, 
I think it translates much better than simply doing an up mix. Uh, in many cases, whenever I have the chance, I would prefer to mix things in Atmos and then always have a 5.1 uh, mix that I would recreate afterwards. Um, and especially I'm, I'm mixing uh, lately a couple features, some documentaries, which are required some Atmos mixing. Uh, there are small facilities that don't necessarily need to be a big uh, Atmos dub stage, uh, which will allow you to actually work if you think about it, how everything has developed within the past few years where we're now with uh, a production toolkit with, with the Atmos. You are capable, if you have enough power and speakers within your home studio, to recreate an Atmos system and start working in Atmos from your home. And then again, you can always bring whatever you have done to a larger scale theater if you, that Atmos system, if that mix actually requires a larger scale mix. Yeah, but you're touching, touching here on a, on a very important uh, thing, uh, especially from our point of view, right? So right. we are making headphones, right? So where in this scenario, the headphones, um, you know, where is its place? Where, where do they belong? Um, in what way can you utilize the power of headphones, a binaural scenario in monitoring for immersiveness? Yes. So I think, that's, I, th I think that's where um, Mateo's absolutely right. And that where Dolby Atmos is becoming sort of the, the, the quasi standard. Um, and it's because it does enable you to not only recreate a speaker setting and we've got the curves available to do so, but it allows you to start a mix, a Dolby Atmos mix in headphones and then uh, come into a room like the one I'm in and check it in a, in a full speaker system. Um, and in fact, a lot of times um, I actually prefer to do it that way around anyway, you know, sort of to start in headphones because the reality is that most of my consumers, I assume, are going to be in some form of headphone-based um, system on a phone, on a whatever. And so I want to make sure that my mix, first and foremost, actually translates to that format. And then I upscale or I check it um, in, in a speaker system. So I think that's maybe one of the reasons that Dolby is becoming uh, such a predominant um, player in the market because it's kind of like with it's the same approach as the the VR headsets, right? As soon as we untethered ourselves uh, from a computer, and we were able to even do you know mobile in our pocket phone uh, VR uh, systems, now more of the market is it's it's accessible to more of the market. So I think it's an accessibility factor, and everybody on the planet uh, has a set of headphones. Right? Maybe not everybody has a great set of headphones, but everybody has a set of headphones. And I was reading a, a, a article which was talking about how you know 70% of our worldwide population has some kind of a smartphone device that will effectively be able to stream one of the services that will is now uh, delivering Dolby Atmos. Um, so I think it's really that's what's pushing the the quest for, you know, how do I start it and from a, a content creator perspective and also a consumer perspective. Beautiful. So maybe just uh, um, um, a small touch on the target curves. Um, so when it comes to Dolby, um, Friends Square, I'm just, you know, starting to, to understand it a little bit more, uh, I'm a newbie in this. 
but when it comes to Dolby, uh, I've I've seen that they have uh, preferred target curves for studios, right? Um, and they have free theatrical and home entertainment and and also the music one. Um, the idea is, you know, when you're mixing, you try to make things fairly balanced and you try to spot problems and and usually you have stereo image right to, to worry about and you position right. instruments there right so now when you scale that out to 360 sound right that's another mixing parameter that right. you have to deal with right so i'm now wondering in the stage or in the traditional way of mixing you know having a nice speakers and a balanced sounding room with x reflections and this and that target curve is important to deliver a mix that translates right so how does that what role does that still play in a in a dolby atmos for example uh mixing session i mean i still think that it plays a major role having a properly treated room uh that's why you know you can't just simply have a Dolby Atmos room. Dolby needs to come and certify that room somehow. Uh, that needs to have specific specs within how big is the room, the number of speakers do you have installed within the rooms, uh, and if whatever you're going to be doing is for theatrical or home release. What I found in myself uh, noticing while mixing in Atmos is that Atmos, it's incredibly adaptive in terms of format. It will it actually reproduce and translate much better than when mixing only on channel-based system. For instance, if I would mix in a room that is much smaller in an Atmos system, I know for a fact that due to the fact that the Atmos renderer will do an analysis of how many speakers and sound po and point sources there are in different other rooms, I can absolutely make sure that whatever decision I will be taking within my mix is going to be absolutely perfect due to the fact that the renderer, the RMU and larger theaters plays the roles of analyzing how where the metadata uh, bounce into the master final track and can output exactly audio in the exact same way it was mixed. Now, it does play a major role the way uh, your room is configured. Um, especially because right now we are introducing another set of uh, loudspeakers. We have the overheads, which started to be incredibly interesting because right now you can actually play in an open space with the concept of height. So I could actually move my source and moving it from being just simply beds into objects. And I can decide what to do within this object. Um, and what I found in myself... Um, extremely intrigued is how capable you are to still work with object with uh, the immersive stereo which Dolby Atmos allows you to do uh, the AC4 IMS I believe it's called and this allows you to pretty much to retranslate into headphones objects positions by using uh, four primarily cues the off the near the mid and the far which allows you to position audio within your speakers that doesn't come straight from a source. But again, it takes care of a little bit more the binaural aspect of how you are supposed to perceive sounds within uh, a specific space, if, if you may. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when it comes to, I'll actually, I'll just jump to a question that we got from, from our community. Um, it's probably something that you guys get asked a lot. So if the majority of the music listeners 
will be enjoying Atmos with headphones, will maybe producers, engineers not be too concerned with other formats going forward? So I guess uh, this is from FD Mastering. Is Dolby going to be the de facto format for music, John? Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting question. I think um, we're, we're certainly sort of seeing it going that direction right now. I don't think we're, we're going to ever end up with one end-all, be-all format. Um, we still mix in mono sometimes. We still mix in quad sometimes. Um, and even delivery platforms, you know, we're still making LPs and cassettes. Uh, you know, they're out there. So um, I, think, um, I think it's going to be a major player in the market. I think it's a huge opportunity in terms of um, remixing of uh, sort of uh, older catalog for, for major labels. There's a lot of that kind of work already going on. And it's an enormous opportunity for uh, new projects to um, sort of showcase themselves in a way that they're not necessarily able to right now. For instance, I'm working uh, in a, on a Latin jazz record, and from the very be or very early on, we sort of decided that this was going to be a Dolby Atmos project for the simple reason that if you look at Dolby uh, or sorry, um, Apple Music Dolby Atmos uh, catalog right now, there really isn't that much there in that sort of category. So you're kind of putting yourself as a front runner in a world that's sort of still being created. Um, so I think there's just a lot of opportunities in, in that sense, for sure. Beautiful. So second one would be from Frederick Gazem. To get a taste of Dolby Atmos power, what's the minimal setup you would recommend? Um, I would say to go with the bare minimum, which is a 7.1.2, which gives you two channels of overhead. Although 7.1.4 with a list allow you to have a very small overhead array. And that would be a setup that I am planning to kind of get for my home studio. So that could be a good starting setup for Atmos. Beautiful. Um, all right. So we are a little bit running out of time. We have like roughly two more minutes. Um, so Matteo and John, um, you're both uh, university professors, right? Um, and, you know, both very prestigious, Berkeley and NYU. So is there any rivalry between you guys? Uh, not that, not that I know of, uh, we're, exactly. we're very friendly with everybody. Um, and if anything, I think the exciting thing right now, especially with a new format like Atmos, like immersive sound in general, um, there's such a wealth of information sharing that's going all over the place, you know? And in fact, my hope is actually that the more that uh, colleges and universities like ours that have sort of that, um, that prestige, as you put it, um, the more that we make this available and, and talk about this, the more we actually centralize the information. Because I know that for me, uh, Sometimes just going out and looking, figuring out where to look for um, the, the, the correct information or reliable information is a bit of a challenge. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see a rivalry. I think, uh, I think it's a friendly opportunity. 
Absolutely. I mean, the collaboration, I think it's key. Uh, something that I think we should teach our students and something that I've experienced in my life working in the entertainment industry is that collaboration is the only key to actually move forward and to succeed within a project. So I think we got to a point where the more we could figure it out ways to create interdisciplinarities between what we do, even between university, between programs, between students, between faculty. It's just going to be a phenomenal medium to all figure it out, you know, uh, you know, new ways of moving towards this exciting times for audio, which is the immersiveness that is it allowing to do. You know, I, I remember that there were times where you know, within the music industry, everything started to slow down to the point that everyone was wondering, okay, what's next? And I remember when it was a seven years ago or a little bit more, when I was at the Audio Engineering Society convention in New York City, yeah, there were a couple of booths of researchers talking about immersive audio and wasn't really a thing. And if you fast forward to three years ago, which was the last time I joined uh, AES prior to COVID, of course, Immersive audio was the only thing that right now everyone is talking about. It's this new beast that is coming into place that would allow us actually to move forward from an old concept of content creation and to create something new, really allow for a lot of experimentation in it. Beautiful. So to sum it up, it's a massive opportunity uh, for everyone involved, you know, from artists to producers, engineers, and hey, yeah even manufacturers of gear. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so thank you both, John and Matteo. Uh, this was uh, a pleasure and an honor to, to have you guys, uh, you know, talking and taking the time to talk with uh, us and our community. Um, and I, I really hope that uh, we'll be able to do that uh, maybe in person at some point when this uh, COVID situation ends. That'd be great. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for uh, putting us in touch. It's, it's... Absolutely. If 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 not, this is the best thing you could have done, Rock, other than, of course, creating these marvelous headphones. But creating these sorts of connections is something that are the really meaning of, you know, being and doing music. Thank you. We really try with all the endorsement community connecting this, uh, you know, we do a lot of projects um, trying to push uh, little artists or you know engineers starting out. For example, there's a guy um, Tim Palm in 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 Sweden, uh, and we strike a deal with uh, um, Daniel Freire and uh, Mike Zuniga, really strong uh, names in Latino more, um, and they're gonna help him you know to to produce a song for us for Ola using spare parts of uh, our headphones right so they'll make the sounds and then produce them and make something like an intro for for this kind of podcasts right and uh the thing is uh, that team is um a guy with disabilities um and uh well he's playing things with you know his face his nose and so on so uh, he's really struggling in in a sense but the mentality is there right he's a creator he's making things he's moving forward and his goal is to you know someday make a studio that is you know designed for 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 people with disabilities and, and i think that's uh that's something that the community uh must support in whatever way uh shape and form we can uh so yeah uh, thank you for pointing that out the community is what we we do very uh very much it's very strongly in, in, in you know embedded in 
into Olo and you guys uh, are actually making this a reality. Uh, a company from Slovenia in the middle of Europe, um, starting out five years ago, uh, now making huge waves in the, in the industry. That's, uh, that's not on us, that is on you guys, on the community, talking to each other, having no rivalry, helping out, sharing information. That is what is you know all about. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.